As you probably know by now, Facebook banned a bunch of people associated with the right. This resulted in Donald Trump tweeting about it. The left threw up their arms saying, oh no, Donald Trump is the InfoWars president. We saw this activist screed from CNN journalists where they complained about Paul Joseph Watson, the extremist. It's all a really strange conversation. But one thing I think that's becoming apparent is that, yes, these platforms are biased. We've heard from Twitter employees. We've heard from Facebook employees. They even have rules on Twitter that restrict conservative perspective on certain ideologies. So yes, we know this. Even Jack Dorsey said on the Joe Rogan podcast, perhaps they were too aggressive in policing the learn to code meme. It stands to reason, at least from my point of view, Republicans are going to lose moving forward. I've even made the argument in the past that if they don't solve this problem, they will lose. Recently in Texas, a state law was proposed, particularly because Republicans in Texas wanted to put an advertisement out that was pro-life and Facebook said no. To them, a clear bias. If these tech giants have monopolized this space, yeah, Republicans are not going to win ever again. So there's a couple questions. Can Republicans fight back? And why haven't the big mega donors who support conservative ideas stepped into the ring? To address these issues, I am joined by Will Chamberlain, lawyer and publisher of Human Events, who had two really interesting takes on the whole issue. One, arguing that platform access is a civil right, and another article talking about these big mega donors who haven't stepped up. So first, let's talk about platform access as a, as a civil right, but let's, 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 let's begin that conversation by me asking you, what do you think is going to happen to conservatives, Republicans, and honestly, like the reason I'm concerned of this, moderates. We've seen feminists banned, right? If, if you oppose the regressive orthodoxy of you know, intersectionality, they'll ban you too. What future do you see if this if the situation isn't remedied? Oh, well, I mean, it will become untenable for conservatives to win national elections. And, and increasingly, the conservative movement will become a regional party. The power of social media is both to both hijack the media's hive mind and also to provide a space where conservatives can essentially lead on thought and motivate their voters to get out and vote. If the social media platforms constrain and constrict conservative speech and ban effective persuaders and influencers on the right, that's a huge boon to the left in terms of elections. So I, I don't see a way for Republicans to continue to win elections going forward if they let the left destroy them on social media. There's, a, there's actually something really interesting shared with me by there's, there's, there are a lot of companies that want to make what's called OTT over the top services. So that's like mm-hmm. your Roku player, your Amazon. And I saw this chart that shows the 50 plus demographic is still watching TV, but young people are just every day watching more and more online content. So I feel like mm-hmm. one of the problems, you have a lot of Republicans who are just, they're not seeing it because they're not as active online as the younger generation. But you have, mm-hmm. so, so this conversation is being framed now by young people and the younger mm-hmm. moderate conservative and even like old school Democrats from 10 years ago are being called far right. They're being smeared. They're being banned. Edgy jokes, even like even activists on the left who oppose this specific ideology like Megan Murphy, the feminist, are getting banned. So to me, it seems like we might not see the ramifications of this for about 10 or 15 years. But if something doesn't happen now, man, conservatives today are not going to exist. So then, so you wrote this article saying that platform access is a civil right. Why don't you explain what you mean by that? So, I mean, basically, there's kind of two big components to the article. The first is the question of whether or not to frame social media platform access as a civil right as opposed to something else, just about free speech, for example. And then the second is about what exactly could be done by conservatives to protect that civil right. Um, And the civil rights framing, I think, is important. I think it's accurate, first and foremost. 
when we think about civil rights, we're thinking about those things that the government says to private companies, this is so important that we're not even gonna let private companies violate these rights. Um, and usually they're in furtherance of some commitment in, const in the constitution based on constitutional rights. So the way I see civil rights, for example, the 14th amendment protects against government racial discrimination, right? That's, that's the equal protection of the laws. The government's not allowed to discriminate against you on the basis of race, sex, et cetera. But the that was already the rule in the 1950s after Brown versus Board. And I mean, that was, that was effectively the rule that governments couldn't do that, but that didn't change the experience for people, black people who were say driving on a highway through the South. That didn't mean that a private motel had to let you stay in there. That's, that's, motel. that's a real example from your article. You talk about Lyndon Johnson staffers who were struggling to drive to his home. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a shocking anecdote. And I mean, it even woke me up. You know, I, I remember 10 years ago, kind of reading the libertarian arguments against civil rights and entertaining them intellectually. But real life examples like that make you realize that, okay, the, the I guess libertarianism can be appealing in sort of this aesthetic sense of letting liberty in the market solve all these problems. But it's not okay that black people couldn't use restaurant, couldn't go to a restaurant or use a restroom or go to a hotel. That, that wasn't okay, and the government was capable of making that problem stop. And I, I think that's the power of the civil rights argument is, that it, is it says, look, if something's a civil right, we don't have to wait for some entrepreneur to figure out some novel solution to the problem. We don't have to hope that some invisible hand mechanism comes along and resolves the problem for us. We can just use government power and make it stop. It's the, and this is the weirdest thing to me because, you know, I, I posted this big, long thread with all this, all this, all these facts on my Facebook while mm -hmm. I was arguing with some like democratic socialist types and they just completely ignore it. And they say private companies can do what they want. And I said, what? I, I, I used to mm -hmm. hang out these people who were straight up like, we need to stop these companies from building this oil pipeline. They should be allowed to do it. I'm like, yeah, we shouldn't let these companies do whatever they want. We you know we want, mm -hmm. like, I, 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 I believe in a mixed economy, right? You got to have, mm -hmm. there's got to be market competition, but we do have to try and control things that get out of hand. We, we've got to have some, so I'm, I'm, I'm for the mixed economy, but I have, I had a, I had a thought on this, right? First of all, my opinion has always been that like in the instance of the, the, the wedding cake, the gay wedding, um, mm -hmm. I understand that's a complicated story because what people tend to miss in that one, if you're, if for those that are watching, if you're not familiar, the baker, and I think it was, what was Denver, uh, didn't mm -hmm. want to make a custom cake for a gay wedding. He said, you can have any cake you want, but I won't do custom work. And it's not as simple as to say that he wouldn't serve them because he, you know, he was offering them to buy whatever they wanted. It was that they wanted him to produce a specific message. Here's what's fascinating. On Twitter, my understanding is the reason Twitter thinks they have a right to ban whoever they want, it's a First Amendment argument. You can't make Twitter mm -hmm. speak, right? Is, am, am I correct? I think that's probably going to be their, their legal defense. They'll have a First Amendment legal defense to something like yeah. this, sure. That, that Twitter has free speech, that they publish, you know, that they're essentially platforming these ideas and they shouldn't be obligated to speak an idea they don't like. But that's a similar argument, in my opinion, to the wedding cake. Now, I don't, I don't know if that's what he did, but can you force someone to, to speak something they don't want to speak? But here, here's my ultimate thought on the bigger issue and social media. When it comes to a business operating in, say, my town, we all pay taxes. Mm -hmm. we, we are obligated to pay taxes. You may think taxes shouldn't be. That's a different argument. By all means, you can have it. We'll talk about that later. But for the time being, if I have to spend money to fund infrastructure, to fund plumbing, to fund, fund electrical power lines and streets, you shouldn't be able to occupy space that I'm contributing to and then restrict my access to it for you know arbitrary means. 
finding finding the line of where you know what is arbitrary and what isn't is a conversation. Like if I go into your business and start shrieking at the top of my lungs, by all means, kick me out. But if someone comes mm-hmm. into your business and happens to be you know I don't know Muslim, throwing them out's unfair because they did nothing wrong. They're not in violation of any laws, and they, their taxes contribute to the space you're occupying. So I look at Twitter, and here's what I see. Massive multinational corporations with foreign investment, with extreme power in swaying our laws and our governments, they're hiding money overseas, they're using our infrastructure in our country, and then saying, but I can arbitrarily decide who is or isn't allowed to speak. That's terrifying. Right. I don't think you should yeah. be allowed to use my infrastructure that my taxes contribute to, that you know, I paid for, I paid for the collective defense too, and you're, you're, you're freeloading right. on that. Why can't, why can you take away my right to legally speak? So that's to well, me, there's like, yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my, my social liberal argument that I'm surprised yeah. the former Democrat types aren't saying. So, I mean, I, I kind of want to take that in turn because there's like so much interesting, there's like three or four distinct interesting arguments there. Right. right so the yeah. first one <laughs> is, uh, yeah, I mean, fair enough, but I think I can remember them. I'm a good debater if I remember right. Uh, the first one is about uh, the bake the bake a cake argument, right? That that liberals who are perfectly happy to demand that some random baker in Colorado bake a cake for a gay wedding are suddenly yelling, "My private company! How dare you infringe on Facebook's rights?" Um, interestingly, you know, I'm a conservative, so the pushback that I get on this article is pushback on, "Well, what are you saying? Are you saying people should have to bake the cake from from the <laughs> conservatives who you know come that angle?" And my answer to that is. No, I think you can draw a principal distinction between one baker out of, you know, 200 million people that bake some cupcakes versus a $500 billion social media company and suggest that perhaps we impose more restrictions and more demands on the $500 billion social media company than we do on random bakers. I think that's a a principled position in general. Um, But even so, like, I, I think I think the really bizarre case is the one where you say, yes, we should be able to force people to bake the cake. No, how dare we infringe on Facebook's rights? That's insane to me. Clearly, the <laughs> right. big threat is the, the big tech company. Yeah, like then what a baker does or doesn't do, I really, it's like, sure. Yeah. Okay, it's a baker. Yeah, but it's a, just go to another is, baker. It's fine. There's no other Facebook I can go to. There's plenty exactly. of other bakers I can go yep. to. Yep. Right? Yep. So it's a monopoly. It's the monopoly then, of it. So and then so here's a here's an interesting twist. So you also then made this First Amendment point, right, that Twitter has this First Amendment freedom of association uh, argument that they want to make that they shouldn't be forced to speak. Well, that position would conflict with their position on Section 230, obviously, because they say they're a platform, not a publisher. Uh, Ron Coleman made that point really well, I thought, uh, Interesting. which is if you're saying you're a platform, then obviously you're not speaking. That's why you're not liable for defamation. So where's your they- First Amendment argument, bro? That, that actually is their argument, though. It was, it was the Jared Taylor case where Twitter argued right. under the First Amendment they can't be obligated to speak someone else's speech. So, right. Okay. So it's, it's clear to me that they're, mm. they're in violation of at least the spirit of the law. They're, they're, they're yeah. picking winners and losers. They're censoring certain ads for arbitrary reasons. They seriously mm. – I mean, look, there was a period where you – I'm, I'm, I'm scared to even say the word – because I know what'll happen mm-hmm. when the Twitter, al- when oh, I'm sorry, when the YouTube algorithm, they, they do a speech mm-hmm. conversion and then take the words and then flag your video. But uh, wow, okay. A certain device, which is used for self defense and protected under the Second Amendment, Google uh-huh. actually banned all instances of that word so that you couldn't even talk about anime because there's an anime called Gundam Wing, and those first okay. three letters were censored so the search wouldn't uh-huh. come up. That's insane to me that Google has that yeah. power to say you can't even look for this. And now they're now they're suppressing 
YouTube channels, there's there's a couple channels that have made a living and built a career for 10 years with with uh, uh, mm-hmm. se- Second Amendment protected home defense objects. You see what I have to do mm-hmm. to, to, to avoid these pitfalls? It's legal. Right. It's all legal. It's constitutionally mm-hmm. protected. But Google arbitrarily decides what is morally just. That terrifies me. That is evil. Yeah. Like you, you are not the arbiters and, of truth, right? Uh, and morality. And and here's the corollary. What if it what if it doesn't have to be legal? Like what if you could use government power to say to Google, you, you don't get to do that anymore. Sorry. You do that and you, you censor somebody's video. They can walk into court tomorrow, get an injunction, forcing you to undo what you did and you need to pay the, the user's attorney's fees. Right. And, if, and that's kind of the, the attitude I want to say. That's the second part of the article, which is the reframe away from the sort of standard conservative approaches to solving big tech censorship and focusing on what is the best end goal for the conservative movement. So so it kind of again, and this connects to the idea of generally people are, are so focused on this publisher platform distinction that I just talked about. Right. The idea that, you know, Facebook really is a publisher and it pretends to be a platform. But even if you got that fixed and you got rid of that liability protection, all that means is that you can sue Facebook for defamation. Defamation cases are notoriously hard to win. And that's incredibly indirect because, you know, all that means is somebody else who gets lied about could sue Facebook and punish them financially. But you, the user who's banned, you don't have any recourse. Merely making them a publisher doesn't give you the right to sue them and say, hey, give me my account back. That doesn't change anything. So my point is, if we think of this as a civil right, the right to platform access, then we write laws that say, since it's a civil right, we're going to create what's called a private right of action, which is a new type of lawsuit that says, if Facebook takes away your platform, bans you wrongfully, then you have the right to walk into court, you are entitled to an immediate injunction, you are entitled to attorney's fees, whatever it costs you to get that injunction, and you're entitled to a penalty, statutory damages. So Facebook would immediately have to restore your account, pay you money, and pay your fees. If you win though, right? Sure, if you win, but if you draw the if you draw the law, you know, broadly and suggest Facebook can only ban you for, say, unlawful speech, right? And unlawful speech, that's pretty well defined. We have a huge yeah. corpus of First Amendment law. Judges know how to resolve that and can tell you what speech is lawful and unlawful. Would, um, would and, Facebook need like a police report or like verification from law to say, yep, we, we've filed a report about this? You could, you could write that into the statute, no problem, right? I mean, you could say, here are the list of requirements you need Facebook. And if you want to lawfully ban an account from your platform, here are the things you must do and the things you must demonstrate in order to not be in violation of our, this civil rights law, which if you are in violation of is not good for you because it's it's a really bad time where you just have to pay a quarter million dollars to some random user for their fees and for a penalty. So so here here's my fear, right? I, I don't think I'm going to mm-hmm. be banned anytime soon, but I do mm-hmm. think I'm, you know, so the way I describe it is like we're all standing on this cliffside. And as the cliff erodes, more and more people fall off. First, it's, you know, first they come right. for the crazies, then they come for the fringe, then they come for the for the far right, then the conservatives, then the moderates, then the liberals. It just keeps going. So I'm watching, you know, one by one, people are falling. It was, this is really funny, actually. Oliver Darcy, the CNN journalist who called Paul Joseph Watson an extremist, who has been, you know, furious over Infowars and all that, interviewed me two, two and a half years ago, three years ago, when I said, it's disconcerting the alt-right is getting banned for having bad opinions. So he, he, he hits me up. He's like, that's a really interesting you know, opinion you had on this issue. I'd like to uh, elaborate on this. Writes the story about it. You know, and now his position is totally inverted. Ban, ban them. They're, they shouldn't be allowed on the platform. And it's, it's, it's so damn confusing. But for me, 
The reason I bring this up is that it was years ago I said, hey, man, they banned the alt-right today for having nasty opinions. I get it. I don't want their opinions either. How long until they come for conservatives? How long after that do they come for moderates? And this swing to the far left keeps happening. I made a video about this the other day. I have three or four charts showing how the Democrats are swinging far to the left. And we've got all these mainstream right. publications saying it's happening. You know, so if, if, if we follow this trek, where do we end up? Ten years? Will there be conservatives on social media? I, I doubt mm-hmm. it. But, but it's, it's worse right. than that. It means, I mean, I, I already have to walk on eggshells to talk about basic things. You know, you've got like Sam Harris. Yeah. Sam Harris is, he, he, he does not like Donald Trump. He's a neuroscientist. Mm-hmm. And he's actually talked about the idea of race and intelligence. How long until that's removed outright and banned, right? So the, the right. cliff's eroding. I'm not, I'm not saying that to like endorse Sam Harris. I'm just pointing out that you, you'll actually have scientists, and we're, we're actually seeing this with some scientific research being pulled down due to protest. The track seems obvious. Mm-hmm. Take away someone's right to speak. The ideas can't exist in public. And the Overton window swings ridiculously to the far left unless something's done about it now. So this, this will be a good point to segue into why aren't these big mega donors doing anything about it? Uh, you, you, if you want to address mm-hmm. anything I just said before we get into that, you know, by all means. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and part of that is is why I think the civil rights framing of this issue is so powerful and important. You know, for so long, the narrative has been, well, is this person really a good person? Like, should they really be able to spread their hate speech? And I think the, the power of the civil rights reframe is you immediately get to say, why are we picking and choosing who gets civil rights? I thought that that's not how civil rights work. We protect civil rights for everyone, even if we don't like what they're using them for. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that's a way to just change this whole debate to a high ground. Like, and suddenly people who are fighting against it, if it sticks, and I think it should, I really do believe this should be conceptualized as a civil right. I think that's completely fair framing. But if you're against it, then you're an anti-civil rights advocate. You know, suddenly Oliver Darcy is for stripping people of civil rights. Um, and, and I think that, and he might say, oh, that's so unfair. I'm totally pro-civil rights. I'm totally pro-people being able to access common carriers. Are you? Really? Like, it doesn't seem like it. it seems like all your advocacy is geared towards removing people from the most important communication platforms that they have in their possession. So I, I think that that's the power of civil rights. And, I, and I, I, that's why I think the framing has stuck so aggressively. Like, I, I mean, I've just seen it everywhere. It's a good idea. Uh, and you, mm-hmm. you also bring up that really interesting, was it like uh, Packingham? Is that the, the, the Supreme Court case? Yeah, right. I mean, so, well, I, so I Packingham function. I, I don't want to get too much into the, the into the nitty gritty of that specific case. Sure. But I, 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 the reason I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just I bring it up because it basically has a Supreme Court saying specifically social media is cheap, effective and one of the most ubiquitous ubiquitous tools for public participation. Right. So it's not so the government cannot restrict your access to it. That's what that case stands for. Um, and so if it's that important, all that language, that's civil rightsy language. That's like all about your ability to access the public square and be a participant in society, in civil society. So I think that that case assists the framing. It doesn't necessarily prove what some people want it to prove, that current law requires Facebook and Twitter to stop many people. I don't think that. But it's a useful case in terms of changing the frame to civil rights. So then it's all a really great idea. But you need power behind you for this to happen, right? You need politicians, Mm -hmm. but you need funding and resources. And so that's the next article Mm -hmm. you wrote where, you know, where where are these? I I apologize. I I do have to clarify. I should have clarified this earlier. That is actually Raheem Kassam's article. So my my co-editor-in-chief, but but I, but I, we, 
I'll take credit for it. It's fine. <laughs> Raheem won't mind that I take credit for his writing. I'll put a link to it in the description <laughs> so you can check it out. But, uh, okay. but, but, but no, but yeah. the idea was, it was really interesting to me because I've constantly heard about Peter Thiel. You know, he went after Gawker. Mm-hmm. You got the Koch brothers and you get the young Turks and, and the left saying like, oh, the Koch brothers are funding this, that, and this. And it's like, are, are they? <laughs> Nothing's happening. You know, um, will the conversation yeah. move fast enough to act, for action actually to happen and for everyone to have an even playing field for, for speech and ideas? Uh, I mean, so there's there's two dynamics, I think, that are really interesting about what Raheem realized, which is this fact that, hey, all these people are talking about the virtues of risk taking and entrepreneurship and how competition will solve social media censorship. And yet none of them have funded a competitor to Facebook or Twitter. They're just all they're all it's all talk. And, and so there and, are two things. Anyone who tries to gets shut out from the market in more ways than one. Financial services, well, so that, domain services. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's one point, right? So, so point one is, it turns out that competing with these companies is extraordinarily difficult. Funny thing, right? They try and say that there's no, there's no monopoly here. And yet, you, the moment you say to them, well, then try to compete with them, they're like, what do you mean? I couldn't compete with Facebook. That's impossible. How could one, you know, deal with all their problems? Well, I, I, and, I like the, uh, sorry, the, the, the escalating meme of build your own X. Mm-hmm. And it gets to the point where it's like, yeah. build your own financial infrastructure. But then it's like, Build your own geostationary network, satellite network for for high latent, uh, low latency internet in rural areas. Like yeah. eventually, you get to the point where, like, no, you can't. Yeah. Either public participation yeah. is allowed, or or it isn't. Yeah, and it, and it puts the lie to these competitive arguments and the and the sort of complete obliviousness to the idea of natural monopoly and network effects. So that's one part. But then the second part is also just the sort of indifference they've shown to helping conservatives speak. I mean, it, it really is fundamental indifference. You'd think that if you're going to go out there and spend money on a think tank and have that think tank talk about how competition will solve this problem, you'd simultaneously be trying to you know, put your money where your mouth is and solve it yourself and demonstrate Fund that the you're competition. doing it. Yeah, have some skin in the game, right? Like, uh, why, why is it okay that for the Cokes, billionaires, billionaires, to on the one hand, you know, demand that we not have the government intervene, allow the market to work, and then on the other hand, not spend a dime to do it. Have some skin in the game, guys. Like, if you want to compete against Facebook, put up your money. If you don't, then go away, and we're going to use government to solve the problem. Period. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the big problem, though. I think you know, Republicans talk a lot about personal responsibility, individualism versus collectivism. On the left, you're going to get high-profile celebrities just saying, "Here's a, here's a blank check," and on the right. You're going to have people saying, well, like, you know, you're going to have the high profile individual saying, how does it benefit me? And then you mm-hmm. try and explain the long term advantages of protecting speech and civil rights. And they're going to say, but how do I lower my taxes? How do I, you know, I, I want to build a factory that doesn't, doesn't help me in any way. Right. In fact, you could even argue yeah. that protecting activism online could be bad for big industrialists and certain individuals. Right. Maybe they want to be able mm-hmm. to go to Facebook and say, here's a little extra fluff. Get rid of that person who's protesting me. Yeah. I mean, it's always the most robust defenses of competition and the virtues of the marketplace are always the people who have completely insulated themselves from competition at nonprofit sinecures. Uh, It's just it's really quite obnoxious. These are people who laud the virtues of risk and avoid all risk in their own personal lives. But and and that (laughs) that extends not beyond merely their jobs, but also who they'll talk to. I mean, you go down the list, they're constantly trying to distance themselves from the wrong people to maintain their sinecure. Uh, It's actually sort of ridiculous. Um, but, I mean, but that's huh, actually funny that. That, that that's actually interesting though because that kind of sounds like something Jordan Peterson said about the right drawing a line and the left not drawing a line, right? 
Yeah. That people on yeah. the right are like, hey, that's True. that's not that, that's not good. We, we, we better get rid of that. We're getting too close. And the left is just like, what's that? Contradictory ideas? We'll just lump them all in together. Well, I mean, once you realize that the left's principle is not uh, let's have the, anything abstract other than like we should win and they should lose, <laughs> then you then you suddenly realize there's no real internal tension between these arguments at all. You right? know, I, we I, should I, win and they. I feel like there, there, and I, something I, I want to bring up that I've mentioned before is the censorship kind of has a net benefit effect for the right in that mm-hmm. you, you, the way I explain it is: imagine you have two kids and you tell one of them they're not allowed to have ice cream. You tell them both; neither of you are allowed to have ice cream. And then you whispered one, but mm-hmm. I'll give you ice cream. The parents mm-hmm. show up and they see one kid drenched in ice cream. And the other kid looks clean and they think one kid's messy and one kid's clean. When in reality, you're restricting what the one kid can. Like, so the, the point I'm trying to make is if yep. you ban the worst of the worst conservatives and, and right wing figures, all that's left are the people wearing suits and ties who are arguing logically and clearly. But the left just runs amok and you end up with, you know, like Sarah Jong and other like crazy people posting racist mm-hmm. nonsense. Just getting away with it. Right. Antifa makes them look makes the left look just absolutely ridiculous and crazy. But but there's a lot of people who just fall in line and support it. And there are people like me who have always been on the left now saying, like, I don't want to have anything to do with those crazy people. Why aren't you doing something about this? Right. So there is really, and I feel this personally, right? I this interesting tension between the principle and this the, the civil rights argument and the sort of ruthless pr- political pragmatism of what would be best for the conservative movement. I mean, yeah, in, in, in many ways, uh, the conservative movement is not benefited by, say, Richard Spencer getting the right to speak or even Laura Loomer getting the right to speak. Like it, it, just from an abstract, if you were solely thinking about how do we win elections and you were making law solely based on that calculation, you might come down on the side of actually, yeah, we should restrict some of the crazies because that would improve our chances. That would mean there was less, you know, it'd, it'd be a harder target to hit for the left. And since the left doesn't police their own, we have easy targets going the other direction. Um, but I embrace this position because I think it's the moral thing to do. Also, I think that there's no, since we're not in, you know, even more pragmatic, we're not in control of the social media companies. So we don't get to decide when it stops, right? right? We don't get to say, okay, you've kicked out the worst of the worst. Now you're going to stop and you're just going to let everybody else stay on the platform. No worries. Like clearly that's not happening. You know, my co, my buddy, my editor in chief was suspended from Facebook three days ago for on basically call it the Megan Murphy grounds, right? Men are not women. Um, that argument, uh, which I, per- I personally never express anymore because I not necessarily because I wouldn't want to talk about it, but because I'm, I'm aware of the sort of Damocles hanging over all of our heads. Exactly. And um, that's, that's another extremely nightmarish thing is you're gonna have people who are self-censoring because yeah, that's a great analogy. The sort of Damocles Facebook could just be like, eh, you're gone. Bye. Yep. Like, yeah, you, you, no I, I look, I look at Paul just Watson's videos and sure. There are a lot of offensive videos. I don't watch a ton of his content, so I don't want to act like I'm, you know, I know him perfectly, but mm-hmm. I do know he's, he's got like the failures of modern architecture and stuff. So it's like, you know, <laughs> why well, that's weird, but I, I think it's the affiliation with Infowars that, that ultimately gets him out because they're just yeah. getting rid of it, all of it. So anyway, let's, yeah. I, I don't want to go on too long. So I'll just ask you one more question. Mm-hmm. There are a lot. There are a lot of state laws popping up. Florida's and Florida's failed, I believe. It's it's permanent, indefinitely postponed. Yeah. Texas wants to pass this law that says if you claim to be unbiased, then you must act in that mm-hmm. way. And California today, they're doing a third reading that would you know restrict restrict censorship on uh, for social media companies. What do you think is going to happen? And do you think? Yeah, just, yeah. What do you what do you think is going to end up happening? Right with these state laws and and what's. 
So, I mean, I don't know about any individual state law, but I am a big proponent of the idea of focusing sort of grassroots energy on state level legislation to create consumer protection laws protecting their citizens from being censored by social media companies. Because I, I don't see, you know, federal is going to be really hard. Congress is in the hands of that, you know, the House is in the Democrats' hands. I don't think they want to help us. Uh, so, but there's plenty of states that have completely Republican legislatures who have plenty of conservative citizens in their states who want to be protected from Facebook and Twitter coming in and ruining their lives. I mean, this is not uncommon. States have consumer protection laws all over the place. But, but here's the issue. I mean, Washington, D.C. protects political affiliation, right? And, yeah. And source of income. Uh, Twitter mm-hmm. and, and Facebook, they've manipulated, restricted and banned people specifically for political affiliation. And I'm not talking about hate speech. I know there's going to be people on the left saying like, no, it's because of hate speech. No, I'm not going to name any of these specific groups, but their political parties associated with fringe extremist ideologies the, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and whatever, whichever one you're thinking of, trust me, there's more than one. They've been okay. completely removed. Why hasn't D.C. come out and said, like, can't do that, right? Because, you know, I mean, it's, 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 will they have to abide by local jurisdiction if they want to operate within those boundaries on those computers? So that actually brings up a really interesting point. Again, why it's so important to take the focus from to writing a statute that gives citizens a private right of action as opposed to relying on regulators right. ex ante to solve the problem for you. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. most people, when they think of laws, they're like, oh, it's going to be lowest learner. It's another very common argument. Lowest learner will be the one regulating your speech rights. You don't want that. It's like, no, I agree. I don't. So I want to draw up a law that instead gives the user the right to go to court to force the company to comply with the law and give them their account back. And that's mm-hmm. doable. There are plenty of cases where you can do it. So that's how you avoid the problem of regulators kind of looking in the other way at laws they don't really want to enforce. It's harder for judges to do that because they know they have an appellate judge sitting above them who's going to criticize them if they decide to butcher the law. Well, I will wrap up with one final thought. I don't know if you have anything you want to add before we before we end. Uh, so, well, thanks for thanks for coming on. I, I will point out, it's weirdly enough, Will is on my channel like more often. Than, it's probably because you're a lawyer and you're talking about a lot of similar things I do. So when I see this article, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's actually one of the most forward-thinking arguments put forward yet. We see a lot of the people saying mm-hmm. the same thing, like, don't ban me. And then you come out like, here's a civil rights argument. Here's precedent. And so I'm like, that's, that's a really mm-hmm. important conversation. I will say yeah. that, you know, I think it should be obvious to everybody at this point. There is going to be self-censorship. There, there are people who have been banned from YouTube without even breaking any rules. And I mean it. Like, Monkey Jones. channel. He's, he's in ed- edgy mm-hmm. jokes where he mocked Elliot Roger. They just took him out. No, no questions. Mm-hmm. No, 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 just boom. He didn't even get any strikes. They just erased his channel. So unless there is, you know, some right to access, we either, in my opinion, have to recognize the damage being done by these massive monopolies. They control way too much. They're controlling commerce. They're starting, you know, we've got MasterCard controlling transactions and Visa, PayPal controlling 60, 70% of online transactions, Stripe. Then you've got the, the Amazon controlling commerce online. You've got and basically all of it. And then you've got Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. and YouTube controlling speech. It's like, maybe there's a point we should realize the commons are under threat. And my mind is blown that I'm actually talking to a conservative about this problem and solving it instead of liberals. But I, but I will be talking to, um, tomorrow, I'm doing a, a live stream with David Pakman about this, which is going to be really great. Dave, Dave, I think Dave's pretty pretty good, and we were having some Twitter exchanges, so that's going to be fun. Uh, yeah, so I'll just, I'll just wrap it up there. You guys can follow me on Minds at minds.com slash Timcast. New videos every day at 4 p.m. Eastern. I'll have more videos on my second channel, youtube.com slash Timcast News. Uh, will, do you want to mention where people can find you and... 
Yeah, so I'm Will Chamberlain on both Twitter and Periscope, but more importantly, we just launched a brand new, well, not brand new, the oldest conservative magazine in existence. We just relaunched it, Human Events, www.humanevents.com. We're putting out, we're trying to put out beautiful, really in-depth, interesting commentary and news. And I think if you guys take a look, you will enjoy it. I will put the links to the two articles, uh, one from Will and one from Raheem, in the description below. You can check it out. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all next time.